Good morning, Meadows. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to preach the Word of God. Specifically today, I feel the heaviness of this text. And so I ask that you would pray to the end that God would give me clarity to preach with boldness and that this word would be a word that we need to hear, all of us need to hear today, excluding, including myself. Let us pray. Father, we come, I come as a sinner preaching to sinners. And our only hope is in Jesus Christ. So thank you for the power of your word. I pray that your spirit would be alive and working in the midst of our congregation this morning. So Father, I ask that you give us ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to receive this truth. Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you would, turn with me, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 9. There is a lot going on in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And after preparation, after my study, I realized I can't do justice to go through all these five verses. So today, we are just going to focus on one verse, chapter 9, verse 9. And I think unpacking this, we're going to wring out the towel, we're going to explore and dive deep into this one verse, and I think it has a lot to speak to us this morning. I think it speaks to those who have placed their faith in Jesus and are faithfully following Him today. I hope that brings encouragement to you. And remind us who we are following. Maybe you're here today that you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you may have stumbled along the way. You may have wandered off the path. Maybe lost that fire that you once had. And I pray that this message, this verse today, would start to rekindle that fire that you once had. Or maybe you're here today that you have not placed your faith in Jesus. I pray that today would be a day of salvation, that you would get up and follow Him. And so I believe that this text, no matter where we're at spiritually, that I pray that this text would impact all of us, including myself, this morning. So let's read one more time, Matthew 9, verse 9. And Jesus went out from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. There's four points that I want to get at today. The first one is the seeing Savior. The seeing Savior. We see as Jesus went from there, if we back up from last week, he was in his hometown He did a wonderful miracle of healing a paralytic. And so now he's going on from there. He's traveling. 
Matthew records, and he saw a man named Matthew. This is important. Jesus doesn't just stumble across Matthew. He just doesn't happen to walk and see this man. But there's intentionality here. Jesus saw Matthew. He saw Matthew before Matthew even saw Jesus. Jesus saw Matthew even before he left his hometown. Jesus saw Matthew before he even came to this earth as a baby. Jesus saw Matthew even before the foundations of the world when the world was empty and void. This idea is not just physically seeing, like I'm looking out and seeing all of you, but Jesus is seeing into Matthew. He sees Matthew's heart, his soul. He knows Matthew. And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of you, but I've had some very deep conversations with some of you, and I know where some of your hearts are at, but that takes time. It was years of conversation and relationship where I got to know you, but for Jesus, who's omniscient, knows Matthew, even before Matthew knows Jesus. And this isn't this isn't something new that we have seen already. Even just last week, within this immediate context, in verse 4 of chapter 9, Jesus is healing or forgiving the sins of this paralytic. And in verse 4, it says, Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking, and he was able to respond. I'm thinking of Psalm 139. You know when I sit when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Jesus sees into Matthew. And once again, this isn't just a coincidence that Jesus just stumbles upon seeing this man in a tax office. But there's intentionality there. Jesus is seeking and finding Matthew. And so, if you have placed your faith in Jesus already, be reminded that Jesus seeks you and looks and finds you. Maybe it was in that Bible study at college, Jesus found you. Maybe it was at the bedside of your parents when you were three years old, Jesus found you. Maybe it was in a Sunday school class, Jesus found you. Maybe it was in a bar where Jesus found you. Or a street corner when Jesus found you. But may we be reminded that Jesus sees and he goes after the lost. Now it's one thing to see into someone. It's one thing to understand where their heart is and their heart condition is. But it's another thing to do something about that. And we see Jesus is able to do something about this. He is the seeing Savior. If I could just jog our memory real quick, all the way back at the beginning of this book of Matthew, it was probably about 10 months ago, in Matthew chapter 1, we see an angel approach Joseph. And he, this angel tells Joseph that she, Mary, will give birth to a son 
and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus isn't just able to see into Matthew, but he's able to see the heart condition of Matthew, and he's able to save him from his sins. He's able to forgive. May this bring encouragement to us for those who already believe in Jesus Christ. And this isn't something new. We've seen this happen already, even just within the immediate context. Once again, in verse 2 of chapter 9, Jesus talking to the paralytic, he says, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And he repeats this again in verse 6. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. While that was a miracle to heal a paralytic, the bigger miracle is that he was able to forgive the sins of this paralytic. And we will see eventually that he will forgive the sins of Matthew as well. But Jesus, being fully God and fully man, has the authority to forgive sins. And so he sees you no matter where you're at, no matter if you are the farthest from God you could ever be, or you're right in the presence of God, he sees where you're at, and he forgives your sins. He is a seeing Savior. I hope that this brings us great news, and once again I'm reminded of Psalm 139, where the psalmist writes, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like day. Darkness and light are alike to you. No matter where we're at, Jesus sees us. And so even as we follow after Him, as we commit our lives to Him, even in the darkest of moments, may we be reminded that Jesus sees us and knows us. What encouragement that is. For us today. The second point that I want us to look at is we see a dying sinner. We have a seeing Savior and a dying sinner. Keep reading in this verse. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's office. I can see as Jesus is walking, maybe. He tells his disciples already, who are James, John, Peter, and Andrew, saying, I think we need to increase our numbers. And so excitedly, they respond, who, Lord? Would it be maybe one of the scribes that's going to be part of our following? Maybe it's a Pharisee that you're going to change their heart to follow us? Maybe it's someone of importance? And I can imagine Jesus responding, no, 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 no. It's going to be Matthew, the tax collector. You know, the 
greedy one, that godless one that everyone wants to avoid down at that booth over there. And I could see silence falling upon the disciples. Except Peter. He would respond, unable to stop himself, pulling Jesus aside and saying, Lord, if you choose this man, you're going to alienate us from everybody. No one wants to associate with Matthew, the tax collector. It's already bad enough you have a bunch of fishermen as your associates, but if you picked Matthew, you're going to wreck your cause. I don't even know what your cause is yet, but you are going to wreck it. See, Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors in that day were hired by the Roman government to steal from other Jews. Matthew was a Jew. He would go around collecting taxes, and whatever taxes he would collect, he would send a portion of that to Rome and collect the rest. He would steal from his fellow people. He was considered a traitor, a thief, a liar, hated, despised, almost to the same level as a leopard. He's up there with murderers and thieves and prostitutes. The world hated him. The world did not want to be around him. Everyone wanted to avoid Matthew. And so maybe you find yourself where Matthew was. Maybe you find yourself living for this world, desiring the lusts and pleasures of this world. Maybe you find yourselves rejected, despised by this world because of what you have done. But know already that we have a seeing Savior who sees you and engages with you, talks with you, and we'll see in a little bit, invites you to follow him. See, Matthew was the last person anyone would expect to follow Jesus. He was a sinner, and he knew it. He was the chief of sinners, and yet Jesus sees him. If we're going to understand the good news of the gospel, we have to understand that we are sinners. If we're going to recognize our need for a Savior, we have to understand the depth of our sin. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, as we just saw it with the kids' time, Jesus says, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick and At the end, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so do we recognize the depth of our sin? Are we like the tax collector in Luke 18, 13, who cries out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner? Or maybe Augustine, who says, Lord, save me from the wicked man, myself. Or John Knox, perhaps, one of the greatest preachers in all of Scotland, confessed, in youth, in middle age, and now, after many battles, I find nothing in me but corruption. Or maybe John Wesley, who wrote, I am fallen, short of the glory of God. My whole heart is altogether corrupt, and consequently, my whole life, being an evil tree, cannot bring forth good fruits. Or his brother, Charles Wesley, 
who penned this, who penned many great hymns, confessed, vile and full of sin am I. Or another hymn writer said this, Oh, that such a wretch as I should ever be tempted to think highly to himself. I am myself nothing but sin and weakness, in whose flesh naturally dwells no good thing. Or maybe the Apostle Peter, who declares this, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Or maybe as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, says Paul, uh, it is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. See Romans 3.10-12 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. All turn aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We're all like sheep without a shepherd, wandering our own way. We don't seek after God, but be reminded that it's Jesus who finds us, who sees us. So Jesus did not come for those who are healthy, but he came for those who are sick. He didn't call the righteous, but he called the sinners. He is the seeing Savior coming to save the dying sinner. The third point that we want to look at today is the commanding summon. Jesus says two words to Matthew, follow me. These two words have a lot of implication. Matthew has to leave his whole life behind. Everything he has, all the, his ambitions, all of his goals, all of his passions and pursuits, leaving it all behind to follow Jesus. And earlier we saw that Jesus says, I have no place to rest my head. Jesus is saying, follow me. Jesus doesn't tell Matthew where he's going, what the future holds. But he says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow a religious trend, follow an ideology or a philosophy. He doesn't follow a synagogue or a church or a denomination. He says, follow me. That's all you need to know. Follow me. He is the Savior. He is the only one that can save. Once again, Matthew is the least, the last person that anyone would want to call, any rabbi would want to call to follow him. But here's Jesus seeing Matthew, seeing where his heart lies, calls him. So I pray that if you are here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, may you too hear this calling of following Him. Follow me. This is interesting. Because this is, as we will see in a little bit, this is an active obedience. 
Matthew has to respond in some way. He either has to obey or disobey. He can't just stay there. He, either, he has to respond in some way. And so same with us. Whenever we encounter Jesus, we have to respond in some way. Now I want to make clear that I do believe and affirm that is we're justified by faith. And His faith is what s- saves us. But out of that faith comes obedience. And is an active obedience. Now if you would... I just want to take a moment real quick and unpack this idea, this act of obedience. Because I think it's an important part for us today, whether we are following after Christ or not. I think it's an important point for us today. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Focus on that first Phrase, I am the way. Luke, Dr. Luke picks up on this in the book of Acts. I found this so fascinating. I think it's appropriate for us today to show that our faith is an active faith. There is no one called to sit on the sidelines. We are all to participate. In Acts chapter 9, verse 2, it says, Paul went to the high priest to request letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belong to the way. Before they were called Christians, they were known as people of the way. Matthew, or sorry, Luke continues this theme in Acts, Acts 18.25. He had been instructed, and this is Apollo, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Acts 9:19 Paul is preaching. He says, "But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd." And so we, even in this text we see that some people will be receptive and walk in the way of the Lord or belong to the way of the Lord and some will be hardened by the truth of the way. Because once again, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Dr. Luke keeps going, Acts 19.23. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. This theme just keeps coming up over and over. This is how they are identified as early Christians. Acts 22, verse 4 Paul is talking about his former life, and he says this, I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women into jail. Two more verses, Acts 24, 14. But I admit this to you, I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way. See the trend here? Finally, in Acts 24, 22, since Felix was well informed of the way. This isn't a belief that God calls you to follow him and just sit on the bench, sit on the sidelines and let the professionals take over. 
He doesn't say, I have enough people to do my work. But when he calls you to follow him, he has a purpose for you. And that purpose is to carry on the great commission of go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, I understand that's going to look different for many of us, but there's going to be some very familiar principles of however we go out and make disciples. There's going to be the word. We got to be grounded in the word. We got to be grounded in prayer and fellowship and caring for one another. But we see that each of us has a purpose to serve in the body of Christ. He doesn't just call anyone to sit on the sidelines and just in our brief overview of Acts and looking at how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I think it's clear that this isn't a passive faith, but an active one. And so we have Matthew then. Jesus calls, follow me. This is going to turn Matthew's life all around. He has to respond out of obedience or disobedience. And so the question here, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, may you hear these same words from Jesus reaching out, follow me. And so the question is, are you going to respond with obedience or disobedience? Now, you may be asked, why should I follow this man, Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Son of God, meaning He is fully God and fully man. Jesus came to earth as a baby to live a sinless life, perfect and pleasing to the Father. He was obedient to the Father in His will unto death, even death on a cross. It's upon that cross He took the wrath that we deserve upon Himself so that He could forgive our sins. He didn't just stay dead. He didn't stay buried in that tomb for three days, but He rose again, conquering death, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and He is our mediator between a holy God and sinful humanity. He gave His life so that we can also have life. And so may you hear these words. May Jesus be speaking to you this morning of follow me. May as Christians, if we have already placed our faith in Jesus, may that encourage us. May that rekindle that fire within us to follow Him. And we see for Matthew, he no longer can have one foot in following Jesus and one foot in that tax collector booth. He has to be fully committed. And so maybe today... Jesus is saying, are you fully committing yourself to me? Stop living with one foot following me and one foot in your tax collector booth. But follow him. This isn't just something we do on Sunday mornings for two hours. But it's Monday morning, Tuesday night, Thursday afternoon. We're committing ourselves to following after Christ. And let me tell you, it's the best life we can ever live. Not because He promises wealth, health, and prosperity, but because He is life. He gives life. 
we could live 10,000 lives. And the best would be always to follow Him. So I pray for myself and for us today that we would follow Him and commit ourselves to follow Him every day, daily, hourly. Knowing that, yes, we will still sin, but we rely upon the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. This leads us into our last point. We see that He is the seeing Savior. Come for the dying sinner. Having a commanding summons. And our last point is a devoted submission. At the end of verse 9, we see the response of Matthew. It said, he got up and followed him. Matthew left everything behind. He burned the bridges of his former life. He pursued all wealth and pleasures and lust of this world. He traded that to follow Jesus. And so maybe even today, a question that we may have to ask ourselves is, is there something that we need to give up to follow Jesus? Is there something in our way to follow Jesus? I don't know what that is for you. Okay, it's no big deal that you don't know. Apparently it's not a big deal that I don't know. But what is a big deal is that we know Jesus. We know the hope that comes with Jesus, our future and eternity with Him forever and ever in paradise. May this be our hope. We don't live for things of this earth that will quickly fade away, but we're sojourners awaiting our future hope in eternity and in glory. You see, Matthew was running his own life. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted. He was the captain of his own ship. But now, following him, he's denying himself allowing Christ to be the center of his life, picking up his cross and following Jesus. So this morning, you have heard the call of our Lord Savior, follow me. It is up to you to either respond in obedience or not. God the Father can't give you the belief to believe Jesus the Son can't give you the belief to believe. You and you alone have to make that decision. And I pray for us who have stepped out and said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. May we have that fire back. Be reminded to follow Jesus daily because He is the greatest thing that we can have. May we be encouraged when we see God calling sinners into repentance and into a saving faith to follow Him. May even the worst of sinners, may we rejoice and celebrate that they are now part of the flock of God. 
if we are believers and we are following Jesus, may we live just as this missionary C.T. Studd lived. He wrote this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard from hell. So if we are following Jesus, may that be our motto. May we desire to see many come to a saving faith, not on our own power, nothing that we say, but because of the power of the Spirit of God calling people into salvation. And if you're here today, once again, I ask, how are you going to respond to the calling of Jesus Christ as He says, come, follow me? Brothers and sisters, I pray that we would be a congregation. I know that we love the Word of God. I know that many of you study the Word of God daily. I know many of you strive to commit yourselves daily to the Word of God and to following Him. And I want to just encourage us today. Keep going. Keep going. Because it's worth it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace and mercy You have bestowed upon us. And Lord, there's no miraculous miracle that can ever be performed but You changing the heart of men. So Father, may we be receptive to Your Word. May we be like Matthew and get up and follow Jesus. Praise in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.